This week's TribCast is sponsored by Methodist Healthcare Ministries is committed to health equity, striving to create more fair and just opportunities for all to thrive. Learn more at mhm.org. And Raise Your Hand Texas believes the future of Texas, our community's economy and citizenry, depends on how well we prepare all students. Meet your regional advocacy director, sign up for our newsletter, and get involved at raiseyourhandtexas.org backslash advocacy. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tribcast for July 15th, 2022. I'm Matthew Watkins, Managing Editor of News for the Texas Tribune, fresh off a two-week hiatus for vacation. Uh, thanks for Patrick, I know you filled in uh, for at least part of that. Um, this week, the word of the pod, or the number of the podcast is 27, as in $27 billion extra that the Texas legislature is expected to be able to spend in the upcoming 2023 legislative session, as in $27.6 million, the record-breaking amount that Beto O'Rourke raised in the most recent quarter, and as in 27 degrees Celsius, which was the temperature of my house this week as we turned up our air conditioner to um, deal with uh, conservation notices uh, across the state. That's uh, That goes to uh, 80.6 degrees Fahrenheit for those who don't want to do the math there. Uh, that last one's a little bit of a stretch, but we're going to go with it anyway. Uh, those are the three topics of conversations we're going to go through on the TripCast today, and joining us to discuss that are our energy and economy reporter, Mitchell Furman. Hey, Mitchell. Hey there. And our politics reporter, Patrick Spitek. Hey, Patrick. Hey there. I can go for 27 degrees Fahrenheit uh, right about now. <laughs> yeah, same. Same indeed. All right. So, Mitchell, I want to talk first about this revenue estimate. Uh, $27 million is a pretty astounding amount, and it's basically a uh, a, a, a kind of a, a holdover amount that's going to carry into the next legislative session due to a just huge amount of extra revenue that's coming into the state for various reasons. This is going to set up, I think, what's going to be a pretty interesting legislative session and run up to the legislative session, as there are a lot of kind of competing demands for how to spend that money. But before we get into how that might be spent, I wanna to talk to you first, Mitchell, about how we got to this place. What's happening here that's causing Texas to have so much extra money? Yeah, it's it's a, a couple main a couple main drivers. Uh, inflation and the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, sales taxes are the primary driver of state revenues in Texas. So Texas state coffers have benefited from the elevated prices of goods over the last year. Um, and and the other main revenue stream for for Texas is oil and gas production taxes. Uh, obviously, as we know, Texas is a is a leader in oil and gas production. Um, after Russia, uh, one of the world's top oil and gas producing countries, uh, especially natural gas. Uh, after Russia launched the war in Ukraine in February, many countries, especially in Europe, uh, have tried to wean off importing Russian energy, and and that's caused the price of oil and natural gas to skyrocket globally. And and so Texas has benefited as a result of those high prices. Right. You, you and I were, were commenting on the irony here about how we've seen our state leaders 
kind of going after Joe Biden for the last you know months over the uh, problems of inflation and high energy costs. In this little way, at least, they will benefit from that, from having a lot of money to spend uh, this legislative session, although I'm sure many people would maybe rather not be having to deal with these problems in, in the first place. Um, this, this news came from Comptroller Glenn Hager, who releases his um, annual or you know regular revenue estimate for the legislature for them to kind of begin preparing for the session. You talked to Hager about this. What, was, what were his takeaways? What did he have to say about the situation? Yeah, uh, Hager did not sugarcoat this. Uh, he was he was pretty clear about uh, the reasons for this growth, and he he also um, you know he he talked about how the especially the oil and gas taxes are based primarily on the price of oil and natural gas, which has risen, not necessarily some large uptick in production. While that has production has grown a bit in Texas, it is far from record levels of production. Um, but you know, you know, as far as rigs, rigs in the ground, uh, drilling for for oil and gas. But um, but he also he he called it a staggering amount of money. He, lawmakers have a, a a ton to work with, um, and you know he 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 made some recommendations. Uh, lawmakers asked him about some recommendations this week. And I did as well, and uh, and he 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 talked about a need for uh, water infrastructure improvements, road infrastructure, broadband internet connectivity. Um, you know, he also mentioned need to address rising property taxes in Texas, and he 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 was really clear on the need to increase the pay for state employees, especially since Texas is growing. You know, by he mentioned he said growing by 1000 people per day. And he, he said that a, a, a good that a, a state government, you need a healthy state government to operate and, and in order to have that you need good qualified employees and you need to be able to retain those people. Sure, of course, and with, with of course, with inflation as well, that would that would be a, a concern in terms of employee pay. You know, just to put that number in perspective, I'm, I'm quoting from your article uh, from yesterday, Mitchell, uh, saying that in 2021, lawmakers had $112 billion at their disposal to spend in, in, in general funds. Um, you know, the estimate that Hager put out uh, for uh, uh, for 2023 was 149 billion. So we're talking about you know essentially a, a more than 30 percent increase uh, in, in in funds that would be available across a, the entire state budget. Patrick, that's a lot of money. Um, there are a lot of kind of constituencies and people. You know, we, we heard what Hager might be interested in. What are we hearing from state officials about how they might want to use that money or not use that money, as the case may be? Yeah, perhaps most notably, we heard from Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who after this uh, you know, new number was announced, put out a news release outlining uh, five priorities that he has for you know, kind of how he thinks the state should use this budget surplus. Um, you know, he wants property tax relief. We always talk about that. No surprise there. Uh, he wants to you know, permanently increase the uh, homestead exemption. Um, you know, he also wants uh, to provide more pay for teachers. 
And the one I think that caught some of our attention was he said he wants to suspend the state gas tax for the remainder of uh, 2022, remainder of this year, which I think is a bit of a newer idea, at least coming from uh, statewide leaders. Um, and obviously, you know, speaks to, um, you know, the political environment we're in right now where everyone is just, um, you know, worn out from uh, gas prices, even though they've ticked down recently. So uh, that was the one that kind of caught my eye the most. And it's kind of interesting because President Biden has also proposed suspending the federal gas tax. And he's not been able to, correct me if I'm wrong, but Biden has, it seems like that idea has not caught enough traction in Congress, right? Right, right. Yeah, you know, that, that's an interesting thing too. I mean, we, we say in your story, Mitchell, that, that um, in Texas, gasoline and diesel fuel are subject to a 20 cent tax per gallon. You know, if you take away that 20 cent tax per gallon, that's obviously a lot of relief, a significant amount of relief. It's also still means we would pretty have pretty high gas prices, you know, and I do wonder how much the of a political benefit that, that would carry is, is would people notice and know that that was kind of the state taking that away and hard, hard to say, I guess. I mean, another factor that you mentioned here in your story, Mitchell, is that there are some limitations on this, particularly with regard to the spending limit, spending cap that the legislature faces, which requires a two thirds vote. I mean, is it, are we even sure they'll be able to spend all the money that, that they want to here? Yeah, we, we, we don't know. They have to, uh, the comptroller told me that, you know, that each, each chamber um, needs to, the House and the Senate need to vote to eliminate that uh, spending limit. And Hager told me that he has not seen a legislature yet that's willing to do that. Yeah, it, I think it'll be, you know, I, I'm just really fascinated by this. It's sort of a wonky story, of course, you know, budgets and everything like that. But it is really an interesting case where we're really going to see what the priorities are of our state leaders, because, you know, one of my favorite kind of quote quotables is, is just, you know, the, the saying, don't tell me what your priorities are, show me your budget, and I'll tell you what your priorities are. And, and I think there's going to be a lot of different people and constituencies asking for this, whether it's property taxes, which is something that, of course, we've been hearing about so much for years from state leaders. But, you know, things like uh, state facilities, buildings, border security, of course, could be a very big one. But I think there also we could see kind of a, a push to make these one time expenses, right? Because you don't want to just spend all this money on things that you will then again have to pay for in 2025, when maybe you don't have all that extra money as well. So it's just really going to be a fascinating thing to watch over the next 18 or well, I guess over the next 12 months as as these things kind of get debated and, and figured out in, in the legislature and, and, and in the run up to the legislature as well. All right, Mitchell, let's talk about ERCOT while we're here. Uh, you know, one thing they could maybe think about spending money is increasing our capacity to, uh, um, you know, produce power in this way. There were some proposals that happened last time, but what we have seen at least this week is that the concerns about whether our grid can handle extreme weather, whether it be cold or heat, um, continues to be in question. We had two days this week in which ERCOT urged conservation. We managed to escape it, um, having to do any kind of blackouts or anything like that, though. What happened this week that, that got us back on Conservation Watch? Well, a couple of different things, because Texans were asked multiple times to conserve electricity. On Monday, um, 
the reason that that the condition that that ERCOT asked residents to conserve electricity was uh, because some lower than expected wind power generation, which is not necessarily surprising. ERCOT forecasts low wind generation in the summer, uh, especially during the daytime. Wind tends to blow at night, um, but you know the. the we never got we never got close on Monday to uh, to any sort of serious emergency measures. Um, yet, you know, ERCOT was was being cautious. On Wednesday, there were when when residents, you know, Texans were asked again to conserve electricity in 100 degree weather. Uh, it was it came because of higher than expected outages at coal and natural gas fired power plants. Uh, as well as low winds and some some solar power that was uh, not performing as, as as well as expected because of some cloud coverage in West Texas. But um, you know, ERCOT deployed some emergency uh, reserve power, and we didn't. You know, they they never had to implement any sort of rolling blackouts. Um, the uh, the Texas Competitive Power Advocates, which represents power generators, they said that. The, the fleet of, of power plants has been run extremely hard this summer. Uh, and so it's not surprising that the wear and tear, especially on these older machines, is starting to bear out in the form of components breaking unexpectedly. Let me tell you, as someone who spent the last couple of weeks in Montana and Oregon, where the temperature got out of the 70s on one day um, and a lot of days in the 60s I was really just thrilled to be back in Texas for this uh, this this weather I'm, I'm and I'm looking at our weather app right now this is the Austin forecast we're gonna have a nice you know cool Friday and Saturday where the highs are 95 and 98 and then we're looking at 102 101 103 105 105 104 103 103 so basically this heat is going to continue what what should we expect? I mean, are we just going to be seeing this every a couple you know a couple times a week or every other week where these conservation requests come in, or is it just kind of impossible to say at this point? Yeah, it's it's tough to say because we hear kind of we hear kind of different things. Um, the ERCOT and the Public Utility Commission say that they're confident we're not going to have rolling blackouts this summer, but uh, they have. You know, they also issued two conservation appeals this week. Uh, you know, they say we. You know, the other thing is Texas is growing. Like we mentioned earlier, it's the state is growing with a lot of people and businesses, which means there's more demand for power on the grid. But the grid is not keeping up with that, and that is uh, the job of the Public Utility Commission and ERCOT to to keep up with that growing demand for power and to have a line of communication with the public. So when there are these conservation asks, which ERCOT says is a tool in their toolbox to, to keep the power on, that the public doesn't uh, get overly concerned when they do ask them to conserve power because most people do get concerned when they're asked to conserve power. That's not exactly a normal thing in everyday modern life. Well, also, it's just not really fun to not be able to do your wash in the evenings or, you know, turn on the dryer or or turn up the thermostat, you know, to, to 78 or 80 or whatever it is that people do. I mean, 
yeah, it's great. We didn't have rolling black blackouts, but I'm not sure I would necessarily call it a victory that, you know, we all had to kind of, you know, do these things in order to avoid it as well. Um, so I don't know, we'll see. I mean, you have also made the point to me in private that this is not necessarily an exclusively Texas problem that we're seeing, you know, places kind of all, all across the across the world have to deal with things like this, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it however, uh, like, yeah, it, it's happened other places. I mean, Tokyo residents in June were asked to, to conserve. I mean, I mean, these are, but these are generally brief, uh, maybe one-off instances in other places uh, around the country or around the world. We're seeing huge issues in Europe as a result of the war and, and where they're getting their energy from. But uh, twice in one week in the self-proclaimed energy capital of the world is, uh, you know, I don't think that's exactly what people uh, think when they, when, they, when they hear Texas and, and, and the, the massive energy that this state produces. Indeed. All right, let's pause for a minute and hear from our sponsors. Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas and National Fitness Campaign. $1 million in grant funding is available in your area from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas and National Fitness Campaign. Learn more at nationalfitnesscampaign.com slash Texas. And Con Resnick. Choose a boots-on-the-ground team with proven success in Texas, managing FEMA, HUD, Treasury, and other federal agency programs. Choose Con Resnick. Visit conresnick.com slash Texas. All right, Patrick, so after the conservation alert expired on Monday, we got this press release from the Greg Abbott campaign, including this quote from Mark Miner, communications director for the campaign. Beto O'Rourke's hopes for the Texas grid to fail melted away yesterday when ERCOT achieved a new record for peak energy demand and the grid remains solid. Um, I thought that was kind of an interesting kind of victory lap, considering what I just said earlier. I, I'm not sure people were particularly thrilled with we only had to conserve energy and didn't lose our power as well. But how, how is this playing out politically this week? Yeah, obviously, um, the Abbott campaign um, is not, you know, uh, treading lightly on this as a as as a in terms of the pushback they're they're providing to O'Rourke. Um, you know, they you know, view, uh, you know, his messaging on this as cynical and as, as resting on the hope that something bad happens to a lot of Texans. Obviously, Beto work uh, disagrees with that intention uh, being assigned to him. Um, but they feel probably that they need to engage on this issue, even if it's a really rocky issue for them, and that they, they just can't be silent as Beto continues to, um, you know, really twist the knife uh, on this issue. And so, again, yeah, it is risky, um, I think, for them to take victory laps, um, given what the state has been through. It could still go through in the coming weeks and months of this summer. Um, but I do feel like they probably feel like they have to have some voice from the campaign side to push back on the drumbeat of attacks that work has on this um, every time that we have a conservation alert or something similar. Yeah, you know, the, the Abbott campaign has been a bit hit or miss, I would say, in their kind of attempts to comically needle uh, Beto. But, you know, the headline or the, the header of that press release that I just read from had the, the kind of slogan that he's been, they've been using the uh, calling Beto's kind of conversation around this being the praying the lights go out tour, which um, always just generates a chuckle for me. Uh, right. <laughs> 
So, but yeah, like I said, it, it is risky, I think, to have that kind of tone on this as the Abbott campaign, but I, I, I imagine they think they have to say something to provide some kind of counter narrative um, to what Work is saying about this. Yeah, for sure. All right, I want to talk about this. I mentioned the $27.6 million raised at the top of the, the podcast. This um, is a new record in Texas. Uh, you know, pretty striking. Beto obviously has a long history of raising a ton of money in campaigns dating back to his uh, his race against Beto, I mean, against Ted Cruz in 2018. What do you make of this this record that he broke? Yeah, it's it's objectively historic. I mean, we can't find any other record of someone first, you know, running for state office, raising this amount of money in a single reporting period. Um, as we noted in the story, Greg Abbott is the best fundraiser the state has seen in modern times. And, you know, he has raised close to 20 million before, but never close, you know, never close to the 27.6 million um, that Beto work posted here. Um, you know, Abbott came out shortly after uh, with his number for this latest period, which is 24.9 million. Um, and so we're just dealing with a, a massive amount of money in this race. Um, you know, I haven't seen the breakdown of Beto works fund, you know, online fundraising by day, but I have to imagine that all the energy around Roe v. Wade being overturned helped him. Um, you know, the democratic energy around um, the gun violence discussion after the Uvalde school shooting, I'm sure, helped him. Um, and so, you know, just given that environment out there for Democrats right now, I, I'm not necessarily surprised by it. I was surprised that Abbott, you know, was not able to raise more than a work. Um, but the fact that, um, you know, we're dealing with historic numbers in this race that does not surprise me. And these, these, these are the two, you know, the, these are the two titans of modern politics in Texas. Yeah, I mean, you know, Abbott raising 24.9 million is certainly nothing to shake a stick at, especially considering he held a significant financial advantage ahead of time. I mean, it does still seem unlikely, or at least a very tall hill to climb, right, for O'Rourke to kind of catch up financially with Abbott, you know, on a, in terms of resources question. Yeah, we should note that Abbott still is going to have more cash on hand. You know, he said today that his campaign said today that they have 46 million cash on hand still. Um, O'Rourke didn't release that number, um, but he had 7 million cash on hand as of the last uh, reporting period. So if, even if he didn't spend a single dollar, you know, you add uh, 27 million to 7 million still not enough to get to where Abbott's at on cash on hand. So Abbott's going to continue to have the, the cash on hand advantage going forward. So, I mean, the other thing that has happened this week or lately in this race is we've seen a good number of polls come out that have seemed to suggest a slimmer margin in this race. You know, a lot of the polling kind of early in the process suggested this was maybe a double digit uh, lead for Abbott. There, we've talked before, and it's no secret that this is a pretty challenging election cycle for Democrats in Texas, given the national climate, given the things like inflation, gas prices, a, uh, you know, midterm in which, you know, this, the, the midterm after a president is elected is usually not a great uh, uh, time for, for that president's party. But maybe a little bit of narrowing in the polls. I mean, what do we make of what do we make of these numbers we're seeing lately? You know, I think that uh, to the extent that O'Rourke has seen an increase in polling recently, he's benefited from the discussion in recent weeks and months, moving away from the strongest issues from Abbott and centering on more strong issues for O'Rourke. And so if you're Abbott in this race, you want to talk about 
Biden, the border, the economy. Those are the, the those are the issues that Abbott is is strongest on. And those are the issues that fit um, pretty neatly into the national Republican momentum um, right now. But O'Rourke, you know, has been has benefited from the focus being on guns and abortion, I think, this spring, which are issues where Abbott, um, you know, is not uh, as in step with public opinion, voter sentiment as O'Rourke is. And so I think, you know, some of those issues, the fact that some of those issues have come to the forefront um, have, I think, has benefited O'Rourke at least recently. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it feels like signs of life that's my term, not yours, um, in, in the Beto campaign. I guess we'll just have to see whether this is a blip where things narrow or the start of something, you know, obviously a lot of time between now and November. Yeah. One, one last question, Patrick. We're heading into the weekend where the Democratic State Convention will be happening. What are you expecting from this weekend? I know Beto is the keynote speaker. Yeah, I think the Democrats are definitely trying to project unity around the statewide ticket. Um, you know, having this Beto work fundraising news hours before he speaks is going to, you know, provide, uh, you know, even more, I think, enthusiasm around his, his primetime address on Friday night. And so I think they're trying to project uh, unity. But at the same time, they do have a competitive race for chair. Um, the longtime chair, Gilberto Hinosa, is uh, facing two challengers um, for reelection. And, and basically the case they're making against him is, um, you know, he's had a decade uh, to deliver a statewide win and we're still not winning statewide. He's arguing that he's put the he's really grown the party to the point that they have a chance to win statewide this election cycle. Um, and something that's also just overshadowing the race, too, is just that disappointing 2020 election um, and how, uh, you know, Democrats really underperformed a lot of expectations um, and his challengers are laying that partially uh, at his feet. So again, I think unity is the big theme to look for, but um, that chair race shows that there's obviously still some, some intra-party uh, tension. All right. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. Thank you, Patrick and Mitchell. Thank you to our producer, Justin, and thank you to our sponsors, Methodist Healthcare Ministries of South Texas, Raise Your Hand Texas, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas, and National Fitness Campaign and Con Resnick. We'll talk to y'all next week. Get ready to talk politics, policy, and more at the 2022 Texas Tribune Festival, happening September 22nd through the 24th in downtown Austin. Hear from 300-plus speakers, including Joe Strauss, Jen Psaki, and many others. See all speakers announced to date and buy tickets at tribfest.org.